Well, hello, church. I want to welcome all of you across our network uh, to our Bettendorf family. So glad to be connecting with you at this moment. And the men at our Kwani Center campus, wish we could be with you, but it is such a joy to know you're part of our family. Those tuning in online, so glad you're doing that from where you're at. And, and all of you here at Rock Island, I'm excited to share this time with you. If you're a guest with us, or maybe someone who's been away for a bit of time and just come back today, I'm especially glad you're here. You know this is Easter weekend. It's a special weekend. It's where we celebrate the, the greatest event in all of human history, the, the, the thing that turned the course of human history, Jesus conquering sin and death as he rose from the grave. It's wonderful. It's significant. In fact, it's significant in what it is and what it means. And it actually brings us face to face with the reality that will anchor our conversation today. The reality is simply this, that what we do with Jesus determines what he can do with us. What we do with Jesus determines what he can do with us. Another way to say that would be the, the impact of what Jesus did is impacted by what we do, both positively and negatively. It's negative when we don't understand the full extent or the fullness of what he did, but when we do, it changes everything about who we are, our past, our present, and our future. That's the reality of Easter. It's why we celebrate on this day, and this is Easter weekend. It's also April Fool's weekend. A much less significant, less meaningful holiday than Easter, but it is the first time that Easter has fallen on April Fool's since 1956, 62 years. Now, it'll happen again 11 years from now in 2029, and it'll happen 11 years after that in 2040, but then it won't happen again for the rest of the century. So pastors everywhere are poised and primed to tell April Fool's jokes on Easter. I'm going to spare you. I'm not going to do it. No, nope, I'm not going to do it. I, just, I actually just want to invite you to think with me for a moment and an acknowledgement that we all know what it, that we can feel foolish and we can act foolish and we can be foolish. And we know when we think of a fool, we think of a, someone who's stupid or silly, who lacks judgment. We think of a court jester. A fool can also be somebody who's tricked or deceived into saying or doing something silly or stupid. And the truth is, we never want to be the fool. We never want to play the fool or fall prey to being the fool. In any moment that we end up in a space where we can feel it starting to happen, we realize that we don't know something or understand something we should and could know or understand. Because we never want to be the fool. We always want to know what we need to know to do what we need to do. It's kind of innate in who we are. And I think it's one of the reasons why the book series, two sets of them, the Four Dummies books and the Complete Idiot Guide books have been so successful. Because we, we always want to know what we need to know and do what we need to do. And the Four Dummies books and the Complete Idiot Guide books have been very successful. In fact, they're, they're, they're similar, but they're, they're the introductory texts for different subjects. And, and there are actually more volumes for dummies than the Complete Idiot Guides. I'm not sure what that means. If there's just more dummies in the world than idiots, or if the idiots don't read as much, I, I'm not really sure. But I, let me just do this. Let me make a public service announcement right now because there's a few parents out there cringing that the pastor is using dummy and idiot from the platform. Listen, kids, kids, please do not go home and call your brother or sister a dummy or an idiot because Pastor Sean said, said the word from platform today. Don't do that. 
spare me from that. Because reality is I'm identifying some book series that aren't really intended to be derogatory. They're, they're not intended to indict or condemn. They're intended to equip as introductory texts to, to know how to do something. And we want to know what we need to know to do what we need to do. And we never want to be the fool. I've actually purchased probably more Four Dummies books than Complete Idiot guidebooks. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. But I like them because they're helpful in getting things done, knowing what I need to do. But there are a couple of, of the titles that are a little interesting to me. Maybe you've thought about this. Here's one in particular. Boosting self-esteem for dummies. Anybody else feel like maybe that's counterproductive to the point of the book? Or here's the counterpart, the complete idiot's guide to enhancing self-esteem. And anybody else find that a little ironic? Because I sure do. Maybe not as ironic as ventriloquism for dummies. <laughs> that actually is not in the series, but it should be, right? But then there's, there's this one title that actually kind of blows my mind because it's like the convergence of two worlds and it's like something cataclysmic should happen because it just is. Here's, here's the thing, the complete idiot's guide for dummies. Like, I'm not sure who that's directed at. Like, who's, who's digging who? But the complete idiot's guide for dummies. Listen, none of us want to be the fool. And we certainly won't, don't want to be the dummy or idiot. And I get that. But the Bible's really specific and clear and, and, and simplifies who constitutes a fool. There's a number of things. One is venting anger. Uh, another is repeating mistakes, blurting out folly, trusting in ourselves, and not believing in God. Those things constitute a fool. In fact, it's in Psalm 14, verse 1. It says, the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, the unique thing about that is, although it's April Fool's, it's also Easter. And Easter positions us in direct contrast to that with an opportunity to declare what the fool does not declare. To declare who is God and what he's done. And that's important because what we do with Jesus determines what he can do with us. And he lived and died so that we can die and live. And I think probably the most foolish thing that, that we can do is actually choose to live apart from God. I think that's the most foolish thing we could do. I mean, he's God. Why would we not want to be in proximity to him? Why would we not want to have a relationship? Why would we not want to experience the intimacy of knowing him? But the truth is we have all stepped into places and spaces that have kept us from God, separated us from him. We've made poor choices. We've done wrong things instead of right things. We've wandered. We've sinned. And sin separates us from God. But the good news of Easter is that God still loves us, even in those spaces. And he has made a way for us to come back to him, and that way is Jesus. And many of you may know that and understand that, but I think often there's a lingering question for how does that translate into life? What does that mean in my everyday life? How does that affect me in actually how I live even now? And the answer is very simple. And we don't need a For Dummies book to understand it. All we need to do is go to what Jesus himself said. And there was a moment when Jesus was speaking with his disciples. He's actually describing that he's going to go away. He's going to actually go and prepare a place for them. He's talking about heaven. 
He said that he will come back to, for them, and then, then he says that they know the way, and, and they really don't understand it. It kind of goes over their heads. And, and Thomas, one of the disciples who actually look foolish when he doubts the resurrection later, declares they don't understand, they don't know the way, and then asks the question, how would we know the way, since we don't know where you're going? And Jesus responds this way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, when it comes to heaven, when it comes to things of God, when it comes to returning to God, Jesus gives himself as the way. The only way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty clear. And it connects directly to the reality that what we do with Jesus determines what he can do with us. But I think there's still a lingering question about how does that all work? How does that play out in my life? How, how do I experience the life he says I can have? Well, see, I'm a, I'm a fairly simple guy, and it often helps me just to lay things out, kind of write some things down. And, and, and today, being here, Easter, Easter gives all of us the opportunity to do one of three things. That's it. Being here today gives you the opportunity to do one of three things. The first is to know something. The second thing that we can do today is to believe something. But then there's the opportunity to receive something. To know, to believe, to receive. Knowing, believing, receiving. Now, when we talk about knowing something, we're talking about head knowledge, having the facts, having the details, the information. We can know something. When we start talking about believing something, now we're starting to engage in an area of our heart. Beyond that, when we talk about receiving, well, this is actually speaking to the realities of life. It, it, it's engaging life and authority and identity. We can know something, believe something, or receive something. And the reality is to move from knowing to believing requires a choice. It doesn't happen without making that choice. To move from believing to receiving also requires a choice. It happens when we choose. And it's one thing to know something, it's another to believe something, and it's an entirely different thing to receive something. One of the other disciples of Jesus was named John. And, and John wrote the book of John, and in the very beginning of that book, he speaks about who Jesus is, and he also speaks to the reality of receiving. This is what he said. He's talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That, my friends, is fantastic. It's wonderful. It's why we celebrate Easter. The life and death and resurrection positions us to receive Jesus, ultimately to become children of God. But here's the thing. Lots of people know that Jesus lived and died and rose again. They've got the facts and the details. And many people believe, but few people actually receive. Receive the fullness of that life, the power that comes from serving a risen, resurrected Lord. They stop short. They stop short of receiving at belief, and they stop short of belief at just knowing, and then miss out. And find ourselves, because we never want to play the fool, asking the question, can I really know that I can believe that I should receive? 
How, how do I really know that I can believe so I should receive? Well, that's a fair question. But I want to tell you today, Easter 2018, I want to give you two surefire ways to know that you can believe and should receive, beyond all doubt. Two realities. The first comes from a man named C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis was a deep thinker. He, he was an author. He was actually a friend of J.R.R. Tolkien, close friend. And Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings. And what C.S. Lewis said in relationship to who Jesus was and who Jesus said he was, he said, in light of everything Jesus claimed, in light of how Jesus described himself, which is that he's the son of God, sent by God, he was God, he was Messiah, rescuer. In light of what Jesus said about himself, we are left with really just three things to do with him. There's just three things for what we declare him to be. The first is to declare him Lord, which just simply means that what he said was true and who he said he was was true and we believe it and we embrace him as Lord. If we're not able to do that, we're left with two other options. First is that he was a liar, that he knew what he was saying was not true and he was intentionally deceiving and declaring things that were not true and therefore a liar. If you struggle, struggle to wrap your head around that reality, you're left with only one other thing, and that is that he was a lunatic, the equivalent of a fool, someone declaring and proclaiming things about himself that he had no idea what he was talking about. The only three options we have when it comes to what we do with Jesus is to know him as Lord, as liar, or lunatic. And there's no neutrality in this. We get to decide we get to decide who he is to us. Not just who he is, but who he is to us. And there's no neutrality. Because what we do with Jesus ultimately determines what he can do with us. That's the first reality of what we're talking about. And knowing him as Lord and receiving, him, receiving the sonship or the daughtership of being a child of God. Or categorize him as a liar or a lunatic. That's first. Jesus said, look, I can't, he said he came from heaven, that he lived for us, died for us, and rose again for us. And his resurrection means that we can experience our own resurrection in our life because of the same spirit that raised Jesus. That spirit is offered to us when we receive Jesus. And we can experience by the resurrection that he experienced first, our own resurrection, where we, have, we can experience healing and hope and strength. We can ultimately find joy and sorrow and courage and fear and peace in worry when we receive him as Lord. In the fullness of following a resurrected Lord. The resurrection of Jesus means that we can have our own resurrection story. Based on who he was, what he did, and what he's willing to do for us. When we know, believe, and receive. It's a choice. And what we do with Jesus determines what he can do with us. Are you tracking the concept of Lord, liar, lunatic? Okay, it's good. I, I, it's pretty challenging. And for some of you, like, that's good. That helps me. And it's leading me to know what I'm going to decide. But, but I also realize that for some of you, you're not yet convinced by that. It's like, I get it. That's a powerful way to think about it. But, but I'm not quite there. And I want you to know that I believe that there is another reality where we can know he is Lord and not a liar or a lunatic. And I think it's a bit more simple it actually comes from a, a challenge that I heard from another church leader a number of years ago and it led me to my own process of thinking through my beliefs and studying scripture a bit more. And the principle I like to call is just the gym principle. The gym principle. I'm not talking about an athletic gym. I'm talking about gym or Jimmy principle. 
See, I am the youngest of two boys in my family. I have an older brother who is named after my father, James. And we called my brother Jim or Jimmy. Here's a picture of my brother and I in Easter 1972. (laughs) That's my brother on the right. I'm on the left holding the bunny. Now, something I understand about my brother and I, we fought each other a lot. But when it came to anybody else in the neighborhood, any other kids in the neighborhood, we fought with each other against them no matter what. It's just how it worked as brothers. Now, here's a picture of my full family 30 years ago, 1988. I'm in the gray jacket. My brother's in the black jacket. My mom and dad are in the front. That's our family 30 years ago. Now, something you need to understand about my brother is he absolutely loved April Fool's. He made it his personal goal and agenda to fool or trick us as a family every year. It started early on with little things like loosening the cap of the salt shaker so that salt would pour out onto our food, to making prank phone calls from the bank or from the school, until it just continued to escalate until one year we found ourselves standing in the hallway in the middle of the night in our house with a fire alarm going off and my brother jumping up and down yelling, Happy April Fools! That did not go over very well. There was nothing happy about it, especially for my dad. (laughs) And I never saw my brother again after that night. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But my dad did put an end to his antics after that, at least for a while. So here's the thing. My brother's actually a police officer on the West Coast, and I don't get to see him that much anymore. But if he were here, if he were here and sitting in this stool, and I began to tell you anything about myself that wasn't true, what do you think he would do? He would tell you, he would call it out. If I said, hey, growing up as a kid, I never wet the bed, he'd be like, no, the dude wet, wet his bed, yep. If I said, I never cried, he's like, no, he cried, he cried a lot, he was a crybaby. If I said I was one of the best students in my class, he'd be like, no, he was not. He, my brother, just like any other sibling here, would call it out when your sibling's saying something you know not true, and vice versa. If he started to say, hey, he was a stellar student, or if he never lied, or if he was really a cool kid in his class, he'd be like, uh-uh, no, he was not. I would feel the responsibility to bring some accountability to him. I think it's the, the sibling's job to, to make sure to, to hold them to truth, especially as a little brother. And... and and we, and we can because we know there's just no whole, not a whole lot of things you can hide when you share a bedroom. <laughs> and for better or for worse, my brother and I were in each other's business. I knew when my brother liked a girl before my parents did. I knew when my brother got in trouble at school before my parents did. I knew. If you have a brother or sister, if you're a sibling and you, you know what I'm saying, you understand, just raise your hand real quick. Battendorf, get him up too. If you know what I'm talking about, get that hand up. And then if you ever corrected that sibling, just shout out amen. Just say, amen. It's our job to do that. We're baloney detectors. We're truth filters, man. And if your sibling's in the room, wherever you're at, just look at them, make eye contact and say, I got you. I know. I got you. But that's good. But what's the point? Like, why is this relevant? Well, see, here's the thing. Jesus was a son. He was a son of Mary and Joseph, and every Christmas we acknowledge that and talk about that. But he was also a brother. He had brothers and sisters. And he had a little brother named Jimmy. Well, actually, his name was James, but James, the next child in the family order. Now, can you just take that in for a moment? Just, just imagine 
what it would have been like to follow behind Jesus as the next kid. <laughs> the pressure that could have come with that. I, I, I don't know if they ever said, why can't you be more like Jesus? <laughs> But if they did, I think he had a, I think he had a surefire get-out-of-jail card. I think he had a, a, a natural defense to be able to say, hey, he's God, I'm not. What do you expect? <laughs> or, hey, I got dad's genes, I'm just saying. That probably would have got him in trouble. <laughs> but I don't know if that happened. But here's what I do know. If anybody would have been positioned to uncover a fraud, it would have been the little brother. James. James would have known if Jesus was a liar or a lunatic. But James declares Jesus to be Lord. He actually writes a letter to Christians scattered across Europe as late as 15 years after the resurrection. It's included in the Bible. It's the book of James. And in that letter, he declares Jesus Lord. He even identifies himself, introduces himself this way, the very beginning of the letter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. So let me, let me just ask you, what would it take for you to call your brother or sister Lord? <laughs> oh, I don't know, maybe seeing them die and come back to life. See, James was a follower of Jesus. He, he declared him Lord. And repeatedly in the, in the course of his letter, uh, declares his authority, his power, his lordship. James was a follower. That's significant to me. I think that's significant. He says he's Lord. Not liar or lunatic, Lord. It's the Jimmy principle. Now, here's the reality. We don't have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead simply because the Bible says so. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think we totally can. The text is trustworthy. It's true. It speaks to us, and we can trust it. But I also realize for some of you, just hearing or knowing that the Bible said it is really not enough. Not enough to convince. I think it helps to know that guys like Matthew or John who were eyewitnesses to Jesus' journey, who were disciples of him, you know, dedicated their entire lives to serve him. It helps to know a guy like Paul, who at one point hated Jesus, would actually ultimately give his life for Jesus. I think that stuff helps. But come on. <laughs> James believed and received. James believed and received. Now catch this. He's not actually identified as a Christ follower until after that first Easter morning. What would it take for you to be convinced that your brother was the son of God? See, I think when it comes to what we do with Jesus and deciding who he is, it, it, these, two, these two realities leave us. That Lord, liar, lunatic, and, and the, the Jimmy principle... That they, they lead us back to the concept of no believe, receive, and the choice that we make here. I mean, Lord, liar, lunatic, the Jimmy principle, position us to decide what we're going to do. We're going to be a person who just knows about it, a person who believes it, or a person who receives it. In the end, James received it. And quite honestly, if that was the only thing I knew, if I didn't know anything else from Scripture or about the rest of the gospel, 
that would probably be enough for me. That the little brother chose to believe and receive. See, when, when Jesus came in the manger, he came to be with us. When he hung on the cross, he died for us. And then we emptied the tomb and sent the Holy Spirit that positioned him to live in us. And James chose to know, believe, and receive and live in that relationship with Jesus as Lord. Now we can decide on our own that we think Jesus is liar or lunatic, but in doing so, we're also labeling James the same way. And I've got to tell you, there is enough other evidence out there that what we end up doing is actually becoming the fool ourselves we never intended to be. And we choose not to believe and receive. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He said that. He, he said that he was the way. He said that he would be the one that would rise from the dead, and he did. And what we decide to do with Jesus, we, we get to decide who he is to us. Not who he is. That's actually done. He, he's, he's risen. He is conquering king. But we still need to decide who he is to us. What we're going to do with him because it determines what he can do with us. And not deciding, my friends, is deciding. If we were standing waiting for a train, the train pulls in, the conductor says, you guys getting on. And we say, ah, we're going to decide later what's going to happen next. The train's going to pull away. And we decided by not deciding. And there's a similar reality when it comes to who we say Jesus is and what we do with him. You're either in or you're out. He's either Lord or something else that doesn't matter at all. You know, we can feel foolish and we can be foolish. But I think the most foolish thing we can do is to know the way and believe the truth but not receive the life. To stop short of receiving the resurrection power in our own lives and experience our own resurrection story. Because the bloody cross and the empty tomb actually position the reality that Jesus is Lord. Now there are plenty of well thought out arguments about why we should have faith in Jesus and why he was who he said he was and why we should follow him. Paul wrote many of those. And scholars for hundreds of years have written far better things than I can ever write to describe why we should. But I find the most powerful to be the most simple. The most profound to be the most obvious. And it's James, the little brother of Jesus. If a guy could grow up with Jesus and then choose to die for faith in Jesus. I find few more convincing proofs of the resurrection than that. More convincing proofs of the need to receive and not just know or even stop at belief. But we get to decide. You get to decide. It, it's Easter weekend, it's April Fool's weekend, and we're celebrating the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Something that another disciple of Jesus, Peter, described this way. That Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. That's wonderful. 
That's why we celebrate this Easter. It's amazing that Jesus would do that, but I think often we're so familiar with it, we know enough about it that we lose how exceptional it actually is, how extraordinary it is, because we're so familiar. And what Easter actually does is not, we're not just positioned to remember and celebrate, we're actually positioned to decide. To decide who he is to us. To determine whether he is Lord, liar, or lunatic in our own headspace. But if he's Lord, then his resurrection means we can experience resurrection. That him coming back to life allows us to have life now and in the next life. We can have our own resurrection story. In fact, I want to invite you to listen to a story from a friend of mine. His name's Nelson. He's actually one of our heritage family members. And he walked his own journey of knowing, believing, receiving and experienced his own resurrection story in light of the resurrection of Jesus. So I just want to invite you to sit back and listen to Nelson describe his own resurrection story. was uh, 10, 11 years old when my dad uh, bought me uh, a set of bongos, you know, so I could play with him. Uh, he, was, he was a very good guitar player, very good. We used to jam in, a, in our house on, in the evenings, usually. You know, music to me is uh, it's a freedom of expression. I play congas from age 26 until I was diagnosed with cancer in 2003. I remember the last day that I played uh, the congas because I thought I would never play again. But it was very scary, okay, to know that you have not only cancer, but sarcoma, angiosarcoma, you know? Uh, for like three weeks after I was diagnosed, I was a wreck. I would go to work or I would be here watching TV and I would just break down sobbing. And I had the surgery on, in April 2003. And you know what? I never thought about God. Not even a prayer. My wife was always pushing me to go to church. I was like, uh, if you want to go to church, you go to church. Eventually, we ended up going to Heritage. We went to a service one day in Bettendorf. And uh, by the end of that service, I have to tell you that I was redeemed by the Spirit of God. But yeah, you know, I feel pain and discomfort every day. But I give it to God. You have to give it to God. Knowing, understanding what I have over here or have and still have, you know, um, to worship Him, playing for Him. But percussion is, is the ultimate uh, 
thanks that I can give him. God healed me, not only physically, because he cured me from my cancer, but he also healed me spiritually from my heart. God gives me the strength to do that by believing in him, that I can do this. And every time I get on that stage is to worship him, is to worship him. My name is Nelson Martinez, and this is my resurrection story. Listen, when we receive Jesus as Lord, our resurrection story begins. He brings healing, physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing. When we know, believe, receive. There isn't anything in this world or anything that the enemy of God will seek to steal, kill, or destroy that Jesus can't resurrect. Nothing he can't reclaim. Nothing he can't rebuild. No marriage, no relationship, no emotional reality, no wound, no pain, no complexity in life that God is not willing to work redemptively in when we know, believe, and receive because the resurrection power of Jesus allows us to experience our own resurrection story. His resurrection story is the source of ours if we were willing to know, believe, and receive. And today, we have the opportunity to decide that you get to choose that today. The difference between what Jesus invites us to and every other religion of the world is that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And that life is available when we receive him. And we actually just receive him in a simple conversation, a prayer, a prayer where we submit to his authority in our lives, where we find forgiveness for the junk of our life that we wish we'd never experienced. We receive the promise of eternal life and we begin to walk with God. That all happens in a, in a prayer. A prayer that I actually want to pray for us right now. And invite you to pray with me silently as I read it aloud. If you've never moved from knowing to believing to receiving, you can do that right now today, right where you're at. And I invite you to consider doing so. If you've made a commitment to God and Jesus before, but life got in the way and you've wandered, this same prayer can be a prayer of recommitment. And I invite you as well to pray alongside. For the rest of you, be praying for those who pray this prayer. But the opportunity here is to receive Jesus and the fullness of what that means as a resurrected Lord. The prayer is actually in your worship folder. It's also going to be here on the screen. But allow me to pray this aloud and invite you to pray along with me silently as you are led by the Spirit. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Today I choose to trust and follow you as my risen Lord and Savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In your name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you have received Jesus as Lord. And your resurrection story has begun. And there's actually a party in heaven. Scripture says the angels start celebrating when anybody steps into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I celebrate it with you. 
Because the truth is, Easter is not about knowing something. It's not about just believing something. It's about receiving something. And it's receiving life and life to the full through Jesus, who is a risen and resurrected Lord. So if you prayed that prayer, here's the thing. I would love for you to let us know you did that. You can use that tear off from that worship folder to do that. You can find any piece of paper anywhere. You can find me. You can find any person wearing a lanyard and let us know that you made that decision to pray that prayer. Two reasons. One, we want to come alongside you with resources and, and things to keep, allow you to keep moving in the journey because this is a beginning and not just an, it's not an end. It's a launching pad to life. We want to come alongside. The second is when we make an internal decision, it's, it can be real, but there's something more resolute when we move it outside to an external action. And by taking the opportunity to declare, this is what I did. This is my resurrection story starting now because I prayed this prayer. It'll move you from that just internal reality to that greater level of just resolute commitment in what you did. And I encourage you to do so. But what we're going to do now is I'm going to pray and we're going to step back into worship. And I invite all of you to use the next few moments as you stay seated and our worship teams come around our network to lead us in worship. To use this time to reflect. Maybe to celebrate the new life you now have in Jesus. Maybe to continue to process who you really think Jesus is and who he is to you because you haven't yet decided. Or maybe it's just to reflect on the, on the beauty and the, and the expectancy of serving a risen Lord because you walk with him already. But use these next few moments in a time of reflection across our network as our worship teams come and as I pray. Would you pray with me now? Father, I thank you. And that in the complexity of life and in this world, in the ups and downs, even when we wander, even when we make poor choices, you love us and you make a way for us to come home. It is through Jesus who is Lord, he is risen, he is resurrected. We celebrate that. But Father, I pray today that, that we would each choose not just to know that and not even just to stop with an elemental belief, but to move into receiving the fullness, submitting to his authority, allowing our identity and purpose to be, to be defined by him, where we know him as Lord. So continue to speak as we continue to wait in your presence. May you speak to my brothers and sisters as they pray. In Jesus' name I pray.